Hey, it's Luke. Today on the pod, the Inlanders Daniel Walters joins me to talk about the many groups, YouTube celebrities, and far-right hype men and women who brought the June 11th counter-demonstration against Coeur Pride in the Park event to a national stage and very nearly to a boiling point. We talk about the group that organized the counter-event, the Panhandle Patriots Riding Club, how the group's leader, Mike Viper Birdsong, was at January 6th, but also how the group has become popular enough and powerful enough, influential enough in Kootenai County that they organize candidate forums as though they're the Rotary Club or the League of Women Voters. If you're running for an office in the county, you're going to go looking for the endorsement of the Panhandle Patriots. We talk about how this event has its roots in 2020's paranoid anti-Antifa Gundelane rally, which also made national news, and how the 2022 remix was planned to target the right's favorite boogeyman of 2022, groomers, which just means gay people, trans people, and non-binary people who aren't actively hiding, and then consciously hyped up to ensure this event went national as well. Some of those hype men, again, and women, aren't from Kootenai County, but many of the biggest names and the people most responsible for this PR push have relocated to North Idaho in the last couple of years. People like Dave Riley, who was deeply involved in the planning of the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, that led to the death of Heather Heyer, and who may have been the person who first suggested marching through the campus of the University of Virginia carrying tiki torches. Probably the single most iconic image from that rally maybe second only to the car plowing through protesters, murdering Heather Heyer. We also talk about people like Vincent James Fox, who has spent over a half decade streaming and video blogging the far right to an audience that reaches tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And let's not kid ourselves. This was a concerted PR push to attract the attention of national tier far right influencers like libs of TikTok, which in turn got the event on the radar of traditional media outlets like the 300 plus local television stations owned by the conservative Sinclair Broadcasting. And from there, it's just a hop, skip and a jump to Fox News. You'll hear me mention how this event seemed like far right Coachella and, and Daniel agreed with that. A place to be seen as much as anything else, a place to see and be seen, but mostly maybe be seen. <laughs> almost a coming out party for the region as a bastion of conservative values that each of these groups wanted to be seen as an integral part of. The event was about protesting pride, but a key piece of this was elevating the national profile of all of these individual groups and Coeur d'Alene itself. This is a region, of course, that has a deep history as a gathering place for white nationalism and racial hatred, but that also, according to these folks, has a bright future as a rallying point for those movements as well. I think we mostly did this off mic, which is a shame that we didn't capture it in the actual episode. But Daniel and I talked about one of the ways you can tell how a national hate studies person, somebody who studies the far right, but with a national lens, how up to date they are on the inland Northwest by how little time they spend talking about the Aryan nations or the neo-Nazis. It's the default position for a lot of folks to be like, yeah, it was the place that had the Aryan nation. And that's not untrue, but there has been 20 years of history since then leading up to today. And if people aren't aware of that history, they have not been paying attention. So it's a lot. It's so much that we're cutting the discussion up into two parts. We wanted to go through it methodically as an opportunity to document not just the people actively moving politics in Kootenai County and the broader panhandle, but the people then promoting those movements out to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of subscribers and fans nationwide. So buckle up for part one 
of a discussion of all the connections, alliances, and squabbles of a region that has real importance for many different ideologies and groups across the conservative to libertarian to far-right spectrum. <laughs> Not all these groups seem to like each other, but one thing they all seem to agree on, at least after the fact, was that the Patriot Front were clowns, and maybe feds, but definitely clowns. All of that and more with Daniel Walters coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Daniel, thanks for coming on Range. Yeah, no problem. So first of all, for people who aren't as Twitter-pilled as you and I are, yeah. I thought we could spend a couple minutes kind of speed running through a little bit of background. So I was just going to talk about some stuff. I have some specific questions, but feel free to jump in with any additional color as I'm going here. Yeah, sure. So the events that led to the arrest of 31 Patriot Front members on June 11th in Coeur d'Alene have sort of been simplified as being part of a far-right counter-demonstration against Pride in the Park. And that's obviously true as far as it goes, but... Before this year, there was a pre-existing event called Gundelane that first happened in June 1st, 2020, in the immediate aftermath of the murder of George Floyd as like a heavily armed response to rumors of Antifa sending van loads of people to wreak havoc. This is so funny. It was the Coeur d'Alene Winco, like a grocery store of mm-hmm. all places. There were no van loads of Antifa, but the event was huge. It made national news. I remember watching a segment of like heavily armed people drinking at bars on Sherman Avenue on CNN. Mm-hmm. You covered that story back then and traced... North Idaho's Antifa panic all the way back to 2018 when state rep Heather Scott told a private signal group, I'd love to see them try anything in Bonner's Ferry. Oh, yeah. I, I had forgotten about this that it had been around for yeah. so long. Yeah, because you, you have Black Lives Matter, obviously, as this big kind of boogeyman for some of the right then. So it's like it had been there for a long time, for sure. So how did this Antifa panic start then? I guess it started with Trump. How did it sort of spread to North Idaho? And what what do you think, in in your opinion, has made it so persistent? Like, why does the Antifa panic keep coming up? Well, because there's Antifa, first of all. I mean, there, there, we have. <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the challenges. And I actually got at this a little bit in my cover story on uh, Janice McGeehan and a lot of the the kind of the dynamic on the right right now in Idaho. I've just been kind of thinking about this this real challenge where we're all sorted now sorted into these different communities of like minded people politically. But we're not isolated from the worst of the other side. In fact, because of social media, we're oftentimes blasted with the worst of the other side. And so if you're like on the left, you're getting a lot of news about white supremacists and you know some of these crazy, awful things that you know this person has done or Marjorie Taylor Greene. If you're on the right, you're getting constant like crazy things that are being done in in San Francisco or really kind of far left things and you're and you're getting these this really kind of a colorful footage of protests fires being set in Portland or some a lot of these other locations so it is there and it, it just usually hasn't I mean I guess the difference is that usually it just it's never really like landing in these small towns for the most right. part like I don't think there's a lot of examples of Antifa actually tackling these these towns specifically <laughs> except i mean 
and we can get into this a little bit later, there were like Antifa members at this latest event in Pride in the Park. So there were like several people. It was people. like a handful of them. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd heard estimates around 10, it, but I, we don't know exactly how many. But it, they, today, and this is really important, they weren't in like their classic masks and, you know, black block, or they weren't carrying shields. They were just kind of intermerged in the crowd. And they were sort of like, you know, activists that were kind of thinking like, oh, we're ready if we need to be kind of thing. We'll, we'll talk about this more later. But then the right wing media, even local media like the Idaho Tribune, will take cherry pick two or three Twitter posts about of Antifa people or people who just even have Antifa in their handle and like write stories about that to say like Antifa's Yeah, a lot common. of it was was read out the read out anti-fascists account and um, from then they, they seem to really do one of the challenges is the way we talk about Antifa the, mo- the way that most normal people talk about Antifa <laughs> right. basically they think of the people that are like brawling with Proud Boys and rioting in Portland but like there's there's a much bigger probably contingent of people that consider themselves Antifa that what they're doing is just like internet, amateur internet research, basically. And so they're sort of digging in to all these social media feeds, listening to the podcasts, kind of some of the stuff that I do as a reporter who's covered right-wing extremism, totally, yeah. but in kind of an amateur and very activist sort of way. And so this is sort of kind of one of those groups that's like multiple people kind of as cooperative. And there was a, a post about how they were planning on some of them were going to be going there, not as, a, again, not as like some big black block, but to be there to defend people. And then that, I would say, accelerated a, a fire that was already very much ablaze. So after that first event in 2020, which was really about countering this perceived threat of Antifa, this was literally the week of the first real unrest in Minneapolis, the the week of the first unrest in Spokane. Yeah, and that's a big thing, too, is that you have Spokane and then you have this actual situation where there is sort of kind of a little bit of a riot in Spokane, a fairly small one, but you know, had windows broken out, which is the kind of thing that, that doesn't or hasn't really happened in Spokane for the most part. Um, despite, you know, winning Gonzaga games and things like that. Um, that happens in Pullman. Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, we, we, uh, this is sort of a really kind of a strain, uh, an event that, that kind of suggests like something is different now. And you had, you know, Sheriff Ozzy Knezovich that's, that says, oh, this is caused by Antifa. The um, outsiders. Yeah. yeah, outsiders, Antifa. Outside agitators. Yeah. And a lot of it is, you know, I would say that some of it is, is, you know, kind of going off of bad intel or bad information. But some of it is also a way to try to sort of say, like, our local activists, they're, they're the good guys. Even just in this moment saying, like, you know, our, the NAACP president and these people, they're like our people. And we're trying to separate them from the violent, kind of some of the violence that, or like destruction, I would, I would say here. And so, so th- this is kind of a moment that was really kind of, yeah, definitely sort of big in that gun to lane, everyone's sort of coming together with guns. This kind of became almost like this Alamo mythology for a lot of conservatives in Coeur d'Alene. Some of them, some of them seem to think that uh, Antifa was going to show up, like they'd seen some vans or something and they saw us all there, then they left. So there, there wasn't, it didn't seem like there's a lot of people, like it did seem like there wasn't any indication that there was, you know, people were going to be co- targeting Coeur d'Alene of all places. The far left activists, for the most part, were, it was kind of doing the opposite. There were people coming to Portland and to Seattle from these other areas because they wanted to like really sort of, I guess, express their passion, uh, to put it euphemistically. That first Gundelane event was actually pretty galvanizing for the people, and I think we're going to hopefully talk about this more, that the interplay and the way the sort of groups of like sort of far right, mm-hmm. non-politician, non-political leaders in, you know, people in militias versus people like Brent Regan, who's the chairman of the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee, called that first court, uh, he wrote a op-ed in the Coeur mm-hmm. Press saying in part, Quote, Monday night's Gundelane was amazing, all caps. 
Thousands of citizens, the majority of them armed, turned out at the mere suggestion that Antifa anarchist thugs and or Proud Boy radicals may be coming to cause trouble. And then at the end, he said, June 1st, Gundelane should be an annual event. That's which is really interesting. Yeah. And and Regan is kind of this, um, just so people can, can visualize it. He, he's kind of he's like a genuine sort of character like he's very intelligent he's very rich um he's from california like a lot of these people are and he's you know really really committed to to politics and so one of the things that i found that was really really fascinating is just the the breadth of and intensity and effectiveness of this genuinely grassroots kind of network that has been created this kind of far-right grassroots networks have been created all throughout north idaho and particularly kootenai county and so, like, you know, these are people that have just an extraordinary amount of influence. And, and yeah, they really loved, as a, you know, they support First Amendment, they're opposed to Antifa, and they, they felt it was a real big win. And the Second Amendment, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was thinking of, yeah, Second Amendment was probably it. But I would say some of them, a lot of them believe they support the First Amendment, too, but it, it, right. it can vary depending, yeah, depending on the situation. <laughs> depending right? on who's use, yeah, using yeah. the First Amendment, yeah. Yeah. So there, it does seem like there was an attempt maybe to make this an annual event. It wasn't so like there was a, there was a the sequel so in twenty sorry in twenty twenty one twenty one because yes, I was yes. trying to like I saw mm-hmm. planning for it but I didn't actually see like when it happened and there was no coverage about it. No, I don't think so. I think it was like you had people like the the Panhandle Patriots motorcycle riding club, the motorcycle a motorcycle club is kind of a far right motorcycle right. club. There, they were sort of involved and they were sort of celebrating it. And I don't I didn't like spend a lot of time digging the details, but that was kind of what they they referred to as either the first gundelain or like the second or the first sort of celebration of the this event so was that was the the panhandle patriots were they organizers of the first one or just the second one in this one one of the guys it did say that his one of the panhandle patriots guys says oh my brother was one of the guys like pictured in the uh one of the national news stories with the photograph of him kind of there so you know, they were at least sort of immersed within that and i don't know the extent to whether they were there and they were armed there then that time but it was definitely trying to call back to it yeah and I think the the page for this year's event on the Patriot Panhandle Patriots Rifle Club is the full name of the group. Um, writing Club. Let's be writing group. club. Oh, well, writing sorry, club, writing yeah. club. Panhandle Patriots Writing Club. Yeah. And they tell like rifles. In one place it says it's the second annual, and in another place it says it's the third annual. So further confusing me. Yeah. No, it's it's like the the second and it's like the birthdays, right? Two point five annual. Yeah. yeah. Second and a half annual. So either way, though, the June event, the June eleventh event was definitely originally called Gundelane colon protect our children like <laughs> like break into electric boogaloo yeah exactly and was explicitly marketed to counter pride this time rather than like the, the specter of antifa that wasn't just because that was the historic day they'd always done gundalane just to get get clear about why, so they, why yeah, this, so this is about a week this when. is about a week later it's about i would say six days after the, the original gundalane so like it would have made sense to have it the day be you know kind of before like the weekend before yeah yeah, but they were they were because um, that would be kind of the closest. They were kind of saying like, "Hey, we can protest this, but also like, let's make this the the kind of um, celebration here." And I want to kind of actually, get, uh, if if you're allowed me, like I want to give it just a quick backstory and kind of how I found out about this. Yeah. I had interviewed uh, Dan Gukin about a lot of the kind of the craziest things that were happening in council meetings. He was one of the the Coeur City Council members. So watch the Coeur City. So, so Dan Gukin's he's a, still a Republican, pretty conservative. He's, he's but libertarian. Not like, he's a libertarian. He's a libertarian, yeah. and he's like a. But he's, I think a lot of times votes Republican and that kind of thing. And he's been a member, at least at 
some points with the, the Kootenai County Republicans. Gotcha. But he's always been kind of rascally and that kind of thing. Rascally in terms of like a bit of a curmudgeon willing to speak his mind. Not not sort of like always in lockstep with the Central Committee. No. And are the Libertarians their own political party in Kootenai County? There's, there's a, I know there are like Libertarian kind of people, but, but I would say that most, you know, if you want to actually have effectiveness, you're going to be involved with, you know, so a lot of the constitutional, you know, people that we, you know, might be more of a constitutionalist political party, which is another far right party. Libertarians, they're going to be, everyone's going to be At least in coalition with, yeah. Yeah. And so I would just say that like I was, I, so I watched a meeting, I saw some guy like in a, uh, like a motorcycle, like Sons of Anarchy, but with a Punisher skull in, in red, white, and blue flags and like an AR-15 style rifle in the back of his leather jacket. And the, the nickname's Wild Man, and he's like talking about how concerned he was with the satanic influences in the art in some of the Instagram things of the people that were all on the local arts commission. And so th that in of itself was fascinating because like you typically the classic motorcycle guy is like a person who's not particularly concerned about obscenity or like, like literally there's the hell's angels, right? And like the hell is in the word. So like they're, <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're okay with like, uh, with kind of the metal symbolism, right? Um, so that was just interesting to me. And I looked them up and I saw they're having an open forum event. Um, I thought, okay, this would actually be good to actually go. And it was actually, and I saw this was actually located in the former site of one of the, uh, of a coffee shop that spoke out about Gundelane oh, originally. Yeah. And then like in part because of the backlash on entirely, they ended up shutting down. It was taken over by a much more right-wing group that was names at life, which stands for live your freedom every day. And so I kind of show up and kind of, you know, hustle in the back there. And there's a bunch of people that are dressed like bikers. And there's multiple people who are running for office there. It's like a Rotary Club meeting where they're holding, kind of like they're, they're going up there and they're trying to impress the Panhandle Patriots and some of the other people who are there with their plan. Um, so it's like, it's just totally like kind of grass. It's like I said, it's very grassroots, but it just was instantly fascinating. And that, if I remember correctly, that coffee shop has, in addition to just being owned by a more conservative person than the person who originally spoke out against yeah. Gundelane, it's become kind of a center of this activism. This yeah. wasn't a one-off. Yeah. This is actually, they're doing Absolutely, a lot yeah. of these so kinds it's really, of So it's really calming to have these different aspects of, of this activism here. In fact, they had like a Live Your Freedom Gala that was to raise money for all of these right-wing organizations at the Davenport. So there, that was part of it. But then, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this these people talk and there's a moment where they're like really talking about how concerned they are about these children's books. So there's again this moment where like these motorcycle club bikers are passing around like a children's book, you know, and as people are looking at it and being all concerned. And so that of itself is really When was this roughly? This is in April. So this is April like 28th, uh, basically. And then, and then they continue to sort of say like these things are like this, is, we're not going to be violent, but uh, basically the message was like, we're going to have, we have this plan to oppose the groomers, which is what a lot of the conservatives are calling kind of gay activism right now. Anytime there's uh, an event that can be seen or accessed by children, they're really, and they're, and they're, you know, some gay people are involved and they're out. They're very concerned about that. And so they're talking about that and they're specifically saying, hey, this is going to be a moment. We're going to make a lot of headlines. It's going to be peaceful, but like, you know, like I'm a peaceful man. Don't test me. But, uh, you know, I'm a peaceful, I don't, I, I'm not a violent man, but I'm not a peaceful man either. Like, so they would say these things that are kind of like almost undercutting, like they would say, like, we're not going to be violent. Although, you know, so sort of like a, a kind of this this undercurrent of, of possibility. And so it's kind of confusing as a reporter. You're trying to say, OK, what are they actually saying here? Um, and I found out later that this had already been percolating, but this is kind of the first. And, and no one had sort of reported about it. And I was kind of like, wow, this is like a really 
concerning moment. But then, you know, by the time our story actually comes out, which is, you know, a couple weeks later, everyone knows about it. And it's become this huge sort of international, almost international phenomena right. later. But yeah, so the, it, it was a real like uh, moment of, I would say concern in the sense of like most of these times, these things aren't violent, but there's this small chance that these kinds of things can be. And it's something that people need to sort of be, I guess, prepared for. Because you don't want a situation like there's been several vigilante shootings over the last couple years of these sort of people con in conflict. And that's a real, I think, concern for everyone. Let's get into that a little bit deeper. So the event kind of somewhat under pressure, it sort of it comes out into the public consciousness. I think I learned about it not long after it was like reported about in like May 7th or 8th or 9th mm -hmm. or something. There was a, a couple weeks later, they like, a, I think it was like one or two weeks later, they uh, ended up like doing like a, a public event with Heather Scott where they said some pretty similar things. And that was streamed from the event was streaming. And so like that, that went online. And so a lot of people knew about it then. And it, it kind of made like national blips in the sort of daily cost sphere, like the liberal blogosphere. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely sort of in the ether there. And it was a central piece of my story as well. And a lot of that stuff has become kind of like catnip for those, like the 2004 era, like the liberal blogosphere. Daily Coast writes a lot yeah. about Shea and a lot about North Idaho mm -hmm. in that sort of blogging way, where it's like, yeah. oh God, they're at it again. They're doing this thing and well, it's, it's going to be equivalent, crazy. It's like almost the, it's like the liberal equivalent of the libs of TikTok Twitter account, right? It's like, look at these crazies on the other side. They're a threat to society. It's kind of almost very, very similar. So it almost feels like yeah. that's sometimes how it bubbles up into yeah. like more progressive consciousness. Yeah. In addition to like you were saying before, like the really hardcore anti-fascist or Antifa folks who are doing like the deep Twitter research and, yeah. and those threads are getting thousands of shares often as well. Yeah. And so I think that probably like some of the people that were like the hate watch kind of people, they... I talked to Devin Burkhart, who is with a group. The I'll have to look up what the actual. I've name got. Is. Hold on, I can pull it up. I'm, it's we're gonna everyone talk about has like an exchangeable institute, you know. Yeah. And so he basically says um, he kind of sees some of this stuff really early on. It seems like. Yeah, Devin Burkhart is the executive director of the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights, and that's yeah. based in Seattle. Not to be confused with the one that's based in Coeur d'Alene, which is called Human Rights Education Institute. Mm -hmm. So, and then the one Devin's organization is the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. Just so we're going to probably talk about both those then things. Then there's the Idaho Human Rights Education Center in Boise. So everything <laughs> is always sort of interchangeable. It's there's like, always yeah. education. Yeah. Okay. So that's going to, that might be confusing. But no, I'll, I'll stick to like, I'll just say that I'll say Devin Burkhart. Yeah, so I'll use the name. And so he's a, he's probably one of the best people to, to follow when it comes to the Inland Northwest. I feel like he's been on the ball when a lot of other people have been kind of stuck in the past with Aryan nations and that kind yeah, of thing. Right. He's really understood what's some of the real changes that have been happening. So he's probably one of my best sources to get on the record about this kind of stuff. Um, so you've been looking at it, seeing things. And to be clear, the we can get into it later, but like the panel Patriots, they aren't the people that sort of kicked this off, but they're this canary for kind of what's been coming. And I think they play a fairly big role in kind of this coming to the kind of the mainstream consciousness, I believe, certainly. So they eventually, I think partially because of this pressure, they they renamed it from Gundalane Electric Boogaloo. They renamed it to the North Idaho Day of Prayer, sort of to recast it as like, this is a protest against godlessness, the LGBT, whatever. Which is really fascinating. But did anything, as far as you could tell, did anything substantive about the plans for the event shift? I know yeah. it grew, as more yeah. people got aware of it, it grew over time. Yeah, I think it really did. I mean, and I want to be I want to be careful here because I'm kind of I'm not an expert in specifically this piece, so I want to be cautious of this. But 
From my understanding, at this point, the Panhandle Patriots had heard that there was going to be White Lives Matter, which is sort of a white supremacist group, which is kind of, it's kind of amorphous. There's a lot of different groups that are kind of a part of it, but it's sort of like a Antifa, but for white supremacists almost. So like this really kind of amorphous, there's different people that are kind of like in these different pods. But yeah, so local White Lives Matter people are coming. And they'd also heard that like anti-fascists were coming. And again, kind of this rumor. And so they're worried about, at least publicly, they're worried about clashes between these two groups and and worried about that becoming violent and they're worried about them getting tarred by the media as causing it or them getting blamed for it and so they really pull back and a lot of these people end up really pulling back and really recasting it and calling it the national day of prayer is really fascinating because i don't think that the leader of the panella patriots was the one who did that and i why i think that is named, the leader is named michael um, viper is this viper is his nickname birdsong like and he was in january 6 and you can see footage of him like with his improvised armor on his arm yelling at capitol police officers on january 6th but he is not a i'd asked about his faith and he's really anti-God. Like he's angry at God for all the suffering in the world. He doesn't believe in God. Uh, like almost blasphemy, what you consider traditionally there, which is so fascinating that like then they're sort of also recasting it as godlessness and all these other things, which suggests to me two things. One is that he's probably not the person who came up with it, but also two, that the use of God or godlessness or things like that is a secular idea in kind of this world of the far right, not necessarily a religious idea. Um, exclusively or even fundamentally. It almost seems like when you're, when you're talking about conservatism in general, it, there's this idea of objective truth, which is like a, the province of the right in general. But in this context, the sort of idea that like, there's an objective right and wrong, and that is almost akin to God or some sort of universal organizing principle for the world. And therefore, anything that's attempts to sort of legitimize things like, yeah, transgenderness or any sort of like anything that gets away from a gender yeah. binary or anything like that is godless. And so I think that's a pretty accurate way of saying it, that God sometimes for them like represents this idea of this natural order for the way that things should be. And so then moving away from that is moving away from this this ideal, this kind of conservative ideal. But even then, I mean, the, when you talk to the Panel Patriot guys, they'll say things like, well, I don't have a problem with gay people. We just don't want them in the park, you know, kind of like we don't want them well, because you see Which it. it's like returning to all the stuff that I heard people in my evangelical church growing up talking about gay folks too. But it sort of is interesting, but they would say, they wouldn't say things like, whatever you do in the privacy of your own home, I don't care about. You know, that's not something that they would say. That's the something that these people are saying now, which is sort of a really fascinating suggestion that the culture even has moved with these people as well. Yeah, because to some they, extent. Right, because they were, they were be, they're kind of saying, you know, as long as we don't have to deal with it, I don't care. I mean, this is this one group of bikers, but I, I've heard that kind of thing more from the right now these days uh, that I have previously. This is actually where I was going to get into Devin Burkhardt anyways, because yeah. you, you're sort of talking to him about the larger movement and what his organization has been studying and seeing online and in, in as regards to how this event is developing. And you quote him saying that, the reason they picked Coeur d'Alene out of all the places they could have picked in the world, speaking about, I think, Patriot Front specifically, but also maybe all these other groups in general, it, it seems like it really was sort of like a Coachella for the right wing. Like Patriot Front had taken some L's in the last couple of years trying to do this sort of thing in places like Philadelphia and D.C., where there's a lot more you know progressive cities. So in Coeur d'Alene, in contrast, was like seen as a soft target. So what did he mean by that? Yeah. And so this is like one of the this is one of at least one of the theories. And, and I want to kind of say that, like when we're talking about this, like Patriot Front showing up is very overdetermined, meaning there's all these different, like, you could take away 
a ton of Jenga blocks and the, the painter front, front would, would still, still be standing. Yeah. yeah. And so this is one of those pieces, though, just in the sense that, that at least according to, to Devin Burkhart, one of the things that Patriot Front has done is they like look at like the demographics of a place before deciding whether to sticker them. Like how white is the location? How likely are you to get a lot of like Antifa pushback or like far left pushback? Do you have people you can kind of activate? And so according to Devin Burkhart, his sort of theory is Coraline seems soft in the sense that you had a bunch of people that were there that you were kind of supportive of you. You didn't have a lot of far left activists. It wasn't this massive event necessarily. It was kind of a smaller town location. And so in that sense, it makes a lot of sense that they wanted to have some kind of a moment where they weren't going to be chased away right away. And it's also important to note too, is that, that even those moments where they're theoretically humiliated, a lot of the people that have joined Patriot Front say they joined because they had seen coverage of these events. Even sometimes maybe the moments where they're humiliated, it's kind of like, we needed more guys there. We needed to stand up against these people, right, you know? So right, like, right. and so even in this, this moment where they're being arrested and kind of their identities revealed, I don't know that this won't have blowback and, you know, kind of be a recruiting boon for them. You know, there's a lot of these things you can't always predict. And so, so yeah, so they, I mean, that was, I think one of the, maybe one of the pieces why they showed up. Although I don't know the extent now that we really looked into them, the extent that they were coming, showing up, planning to attack a bunch of people or to even, you know, riot in a traditional way. Have you seen the seven-page plan? Have you, has that been released by authorities? No. When I talked to Chief Lee White, he was like, he read little pieces to me. And then there's been, in some of the other documents that have been released, there have been like references to it in descriptions. But like at this point, and we can, you know, it's the kind of thing you can uh, public records request after it's done probably, but like we haven't seen everything. And one of the questions is, it seems like, so from what he had read, I'm going to grab the New York Times story. So they talked about smoke was to be used, a column forming on the outside of the park, proceeding inward until the barriers to approach are met. And once an appropriate amount of confrontational dynamic has been established, the <laughs> column will disengage and head to Sherman. Sherman is the big uh, street in the center of Coeur d'Alene. Right. Like basically the downtown street. Yeah. In it's the kind of this, the main avenue there. And so like, it kind of depends like what is confrontational dynamic? What does that mean? Is this confrontation with the pride people or is this confrontation with the far left, which they've had in places like Philadelphia where they're sort of been surrounded and chased off. Right. And so there's a, a, quite a possibility to have all these shields smoke and like, this is, this is our plan for, you know, a bunch of Antifa or kind of aligned people show up. This is how we're going to like deal with that. This is our strategy. And from reading a lot of these these uh, Discord leaks, Rousseau, Thomas Rousseau, the leader with this ridiculously kind of on the nose, like hate group name, he seems like kind of a control freak and like he wants like everything to be down and he's sort of a, an awful boss to work for. And so you see these moments where the, you know, the head of like the Washington sector is like, you know, I want some more roles. He's like, no, stay in your lane kind of thing. You know, so he's, he's kind of a jerk, surprisingly. <laughs> After the fact, pretty quickly, the moment they got arrested, basically, yeah. there was a narrative. I, I want to talk about sort of Shea and, and church okay. and state in yeah. a second. But to start with, though, maybe in the days afterwards, there was this narrative it started on Twitter. It started with just literally people jumping in my DMs, like yeah. random, random accounts claiming to be like Catholic traditionalist fascists and just random oh, stuff okay. saying yeah. like calling the Patriot front inter interlopers, calling them a psyop. We know about the Buster Brothers and their connection to Matt Shea. We've both written about that. Yeah. Does it seem correct to you? Like, how does Patriot Front fit in? Are they kind of clowns the way they were being portrayed after so, the fact? Or were they sort of part of the core and then they got sort of expelled because they got caught? Or how, what, yeah, so, as far as you know. So, yeah. So, and I've actually learned a fair amount since I had written my piece, too. You have this this other 
a group um, that I kind of refer to often as sort of the alt-right, but you have what they're called, they call themselves groipers, which is this references, this fat cartoon frog mascot, but basically they're kind of internet 4chan kind of trolls that are like, they're gold, they're young, almost all really young people, either kind of young millennials or kind of Gen Z. And their like mission is to, we want to sort of mockingly infiltrate the conservative movement and take it over for ourselves in a way of, and make it particularly like anti-gay, anti-Semitic, and, you know, very, very like anti-immigrant. And so they have been doing all these sorts of things all over the place. And so this is sort of like a, there's a, a fair amount of people that are sort of associated with that movement in particular already in... In Patriot Front. No, already in Coeur d'Alene. And, gotcha. so this is what yeah, yeah. and the, it's led by Nick Fuentes, who used to be James Alsop's podcast buddy. Yeah. Like they would do a podcast together. And so he, when he was really young, one of my colleagues actually like sat in on a podcast that two of them did back in 2017. And James Alsop was the kid. He went to WSU yeah, and, yeah. and be- became a precinct officer for the local Republican Party down in... Yeah. And because he, he kind of like was trying to sort of infiltrate, trying to do this strategy of sort of infiltrating the... And he had been seen in Charlottesville marching and like people kind of outed him pretty fast. He used to be the head of the Washington State Republican, the Washington State University College Republicans. College, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so anyway, so just all the background to say like Fuentes is, does not like Patriot Front. They've been around for a long time. Fuentes thinks they're a joke. Um, I think he, he, he like mocks them all the time as like a, a mockery is like a big part of this, this sort of toolkit. The aesthetic of, yeah. Yeah. Gripers, and yeah. so, and in particularly, they think that I think part of it is that from what I can tell, Patriot Front isn't particularly religious and like Fuentes, I believe is a, is like a pretty hardcore Catholic kind of a, a sect of Catholicism. And it's also just the fact that like Fuentes will say like, this is a honeypot, meaning like this is a place to draw people so they can get arrested or this is a, this is a fed operation. So this is going back long before this happened. There's this idea on the far right that like the Patriot front are feds. There is even this thing about like white lives matter. They show up in Coeur d'Alene and there was an article in the Idaho Tribune, which is kind of a alt-right aligned a publication with like people with fake names that are putting out things. But they ended up saying like, you know, fake neo-Nazis. For them, it's like, like they're not even real neo-Nazis. These are all feds. And to be fair, there's been a lot of cases where the where like the federal government historically- Infiltrated, yeah. yeah. And if you're not trying to do that, the federal government, you're not trying to infiltrate hate groups or dangerous groups, you're not doing your job. And <laughs> and, and for them, it's probably like an advantage too. If, if people think constantly paranoid, thinking everyone's a fed, that's probably an advantage for like, the federal government too, in terms of disrupting these operations. And Patriot Front has been like infiltrated multiple times by anti-fascist, what seems like multiple times. So their OPSEC isn't particularly impressive. Right, and that one of the, that was one of the things that they get really, really clowned on is OPSEC. OPSEC is operational security. So how well is whatever you're doing, whether it's a corporation or a military or a paramilitary organization or whatever Patriot Front is, how secure are your operations? How secret are they? How likely are they to be infiltrated? How likely are your secrets to be divulged? Are you able to maintain operational secrecy and stop your organization from being compromised by outside forces? It seems like the people who are like, think of maybe more on like the militia type valence or people who think of themselves as operators think that these guys are just clowns. Yeah. Yeah. And so they kind of hate Patriot Front. The idea that Matt Shea or that some of these other kind of groupers like called up the head of Patriot Front and was like, you need to be here. I don't find that particularly persuasive. The fact that Matt Shea like is on video saying this is, oh, this has got to be Antifa like right away. Um, and then he kind of looks stupid because it's not. Right. 
like I don't I don't have any anything evidence that that Shay knew that that some of the sons of of like a, a friend of his that was like a, seemed to be like a leader in his church. I don't have any evidence that he knew about that beforehand. So this is actually perfect. So yeah. I did want to like use that moment right there to sort of discuss journalistic credulity. It's specifically in the context yeah. of a broad movement that to greater or lesser extents relies on purposeful deception mm-hmm. to sort of disguise you know, the, one of the things about alt-right was how much they used irony, like ironic racism. And Shay's not an alt-right guy, no. but... But he's also a guy that... He's not a particularly honest person in my reporting from him. It's not a person I, I trust. I don't think he's... I don't think he's truthful. He's also not the man at the... Um, with the village that always lies, right? He's not like the riddle. He's not a riddle character. Like a lot of times he will say something that's true. So you, the trick is like trying to figure out, okay, how do I figure it out whether this well, is real or not? So that was the thing. So just to set this up for folks, if you haven't yeah. read my story or, or Daniel's yeah. tweets and stuff, like almost the moment that these guys are getting arrested, and this is a something I found a, a Facebook short story that was shared to me by a local activist, the Church and State podcast, which is co-hosted by Gabe Blumgren, who's the worship director of Matt Shea's Church on Fire Ministries. I pulled that all just That's out of my head. That's, yeah, I'm, nice. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Happy with myself it. there. In real time, like posting a photo of these guys getting busted and saying the cops just busted Antifa. Very close to the same time, Matt Shea goes on the Readout News because he had been doing a prayer march in town. He goes live on the Readout News Facebook page and says something similar. Basically, Antifa had been arrested and he suspected, personally suspected, that they were planning to ambush his prayer march specifically. And that's really incredible. And so you tweeted, when, and we kind of had a discussion about this, that based on those posts, you it didn't seem to you like, at least Shane Blumgren, they clearly knew the Buster Brothers. They didn't know they were part of Patriot Front necessarily. Yeah. I think I'm a little bit more ambivalent about that. I think that's totally possible. I also think, to your point, the importance of irony and satire in the way of the alt-right, but also just obfuscation and lying to normies and the quote-unquote mainstream as a, as a matter of operational security is like become a tactic of the far right. Right. But that also doesn't mean that people that are trying to cover them can always just land on the a conclusion that's most appealing to them. It doesn't mean that everything's a conspiracy either. And I, I don't want to like make use yeah. use the lack of evidence to imagine that everything's a conspiracy. But rather than doing the thing that you would do in a normal situation where you would need to sort of distance yourself. And this is actually what the church and state guys kind of did on their podcast, saying basically like Matt Buster, who's the father of the kids who were arrested, who is the was until recently the men's pastor. The, At least basically appeared the, to be, yeah. Like appeared to, to be the men's pastor of Shay's church. Uh, men's, men, yeah, so real like men's. Real yeah. men's ministries, I think yeah. is what it's called. It basically disappears from the website. So he's like being scrubbed. He's being erased rather than just being like, you know, our brother has sinned or whatever. He's going to go take some time. So that is weird to me. But they also like defended him, like defended the dad specifically. They didn't say like, this guy was the leader of the church, but they did say, lay off the dad, Matt Buster. Right. He didn't you, do anything it, wrong. Basically the, the opposite of the, you, you know, the, the sins of the sons can't be visited upon the father is what they said mostly then thirdly you know is the speed and ease with which shay just defaults to conspiracy theories and we both reported on this when he was in poland earlier this year and local people there had real honest and seemingly earnest concerns about how he was hanging out with all these random orphans in this tiny town the size of colfax washington in poland nobody knows who this guy is and rather than like trying to diffuse the situation with locals he goes on the right-wing polish paul chuecki's youtube page and starts calling it russian style disinformation there's nothing to say that that was a disinformation campaign it was a bunch of concerned rural polls and conspiracy theories that have come out with it so it was a situation where he was sort of a victim of conspiracy theories of oh there's going to be organ harvesting like they're going to take you know so matt shea is a former state representative representative of in kind of the fourth district in Spokane Valley 
Um, he's been like a, a person who's a person who's been through all sorts of controversies over the years. His his uh, wife is Ukrainian. He has been he had been working trying to adopt some orphans there. So then he goes over. And one of the things I think to understand with Shay is that he wants to be the hero and the center of every story. And so he inserted himself into that story. And he inserted himself into this story too, it seemed. I mean, there, there was talk when I listened to the, um, one of the things that the Panel Patriot said was that, like, we're gonna be involved with some very prominent area pastors who are gonna come over here. You know, it's like, oh, it's gotta be Matt Shea, right? And so sure enough, Matt Shea was there, you know, and so, um, so he was in the kind of in the middle of this. Is it a situation where like, oh, so let's say he's involved with the Patriot Front, somehow tied with them. He sees they're being arrested. He says, oh, he, I'm, I'm gonna pretend that's Antifa. And then I'm going to look stupid later. And then it's going to turn out that, that some of these people are associated with me. And then I'm going to like, you can, you can play kind of the, um, this is all this kind of this, this complicated thing. But f from covering Shay, he seems to be a person who mostly sort of like um, scrambles and improvises from one crisis to another. And kind of like classic sitcom thing of like, you are in trouble here. So you try to like fix it or cover it up. And then it blows up to something it's steamed else. Steamed hams. Seymour! Why is there smoke coming out of your oven, Seymour? Uh, oh, that isn't smoke. It's steam. Steam from the steamed clams we're having. Mmm, steamed clams. <laughs> Superintendent, I hope you're ready for mouth-watering hamburgers. I thought we were having steamed clams. No, no, I said steamed hams. That's what I call hamburgers. You call hamburgers steamed hams? Yes, it's a regional dialect. Uh, what region? Uh, upstate New York. Really? Well, I'm from Utica, and I've never heard anyone use the phrase steamed hams. Oh, not in Utica. No, it's an Albany expression. Yeah, exactly. So that's <laughs> that's the way, yeah. So like the, yeah, he is the the person who's like, oh, this is Aurora Borealis when he sees, yeah. you know, the U-Haul pull up. And Good Lord, what is happening in there? Aurora Borealis? Aurora Borealis. At this time of year, at this time of day, in this part of the country, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. May I see it? No. I think Shea is very smart in terms of like a certain type of intelligence, but I don't see him as necessarily like a puppet master pulling strings everywhere, really savvy. So I just, I guess I, I think that I, I would need to see a lot more evidence that I think it's possible that he knew that the busters, like the kids are involved in some sort of really crazy kind of, you know, right wing group. I think it's very possible the dad did, you know, but I, I just can't say that they, yeah. So in general, how do you though, as a reporter navigating these groups who treat lying and obfuscation and erasure as operational tactics, like how does that change the way you report or does it? One of the biggest challenges is that I, um, Matt Shea hasn't given like us an interview since like 2013 from what yeah, I can tell. Yep. So I've probably made more things I've had to correct with stories covering Shea World than like other topics, any other topic I've done, because you're like a trapeze artist without a net. Because like normally you say something, you get something from some source and you call the other person and say, is this true? The person says no, or they say yes, or they try to spin it. And then that's a really good sense for the truth of it. But Shea doesn't do that. And so you're sort of on your own and, and you try to like figure out other ways to verify what you're being told. But until it comes out, then sometimes he's able to make, you know, you look like a fool or you make, you know. So this, so I want to, I always want to be cautious. I always kind of say like, there's, there's people that think that like, this is such an important deal, like covering like white supremacists that we've got to be as maximal as, as we can. We got to like assume that the worst case scenario is true. 
we got to like say like everyone who's like a kind of remotely affiliated with this movement are Nazis and kind of like lump them into this category because this is how we like stand up to them. And for me, it's like the opposite. Like I respect and I try to be very, very careful. And I respect you know, people that are res extremist researchers who are very, very specific. Here's this movement. Here's what we know and don't know. And sometimes you know, end up working with people on the far left and the far right for like these sorts of stories that are sources behind the scenes. And like a lot of it's like, okay, you're going to give me something. How am I going to verify what they're saying? You know, can I go and look at this document myself? Are there screen grabs? Are there, you know, and a lot of it's saying what we don't know or what we've figured out so far or what they've said and without just sort of um, assuming necessarily that they're lying. Because I think I, I have seen journalists get into trouble before where they're like, this group always lies. And so we're just not going to even consider the possibility that what we've been hearing is not true for about this group, which is what was, we saw this happen a lot with Trump when Trump was being covered because anything was so, could be so crazy with in the Trump world, not a lot, but like there's a, there's a number of things that turned out not to be accurate and people had egg in their face. So that was like how Patriot Front kind of came to be in the space. Your story then moves to Dave Riley and, and a bunch of other well, people. Well, the big thing is, is that so the person, so who started this? It was not in terms of like started this whole hullabaloo. From best as I can tell, this is what everyone that I've talked to kind of thinks it started. It starts on April 13th and it starts from a man named, or at least this is what he goes by. I'm not sure if it's actually his name. Vince James Fox um, with two X's. Um, and he's sort of a longtime alt-right, America first, groiper type um, buddies with Nick Fuentes. He's one of the speakers in the, um, Janice McGeehan got a lot of the gubernatorial candidate this year, Lieutenant Governor of Idaho, got a lot of criticism for showing up to this alt-right conference. Vince James is one of these other speakers at this alt-right conference. When he shows up, they're like, the whole conference is chanting Vince, 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 Vince. Whereas like with McGee and everyone's just like, like who, you know, who's this lady? Uh, whereas he's like this superstar. He has like between his Gab account, which is kind of like a- 100,000 people on Gab. And like Gab is not a particularly successful platform. So there might be like, that's a large percentage of the people on Gab. Yeah. And a bunch of people on Telegram, like over 40,000. So he's like the really, within this world, he's a really big deal. He's not just a really big deal, but like there's this group called Red Ice, which had 300,000, these two kind of Swedish alt-right um, commentators. Lana Lochtef and Henrik Palmgren. Yeah. And wait, do they? No do relation they all, to Gabe Blomgren. That's yeah, right, right. Name, but do they all live in the uh, yes. North Idaho now? Post Falls from what I guess. Okay. So like, so they all seem to be in Post Falls from what I can tell right now. So this is the big thing is that there's this movement. Uh, Brittany Pettibone, who was this other, uh, she was like one of the biggest big pizza baits conspiracy theorists. She lived, used to live there until she moved. Pre-QAnon, yeah. Yeah, be sure she moved to like, Austria to be with her boyfriend. When there. she tried to get her Aust her yeah. boyfriend was like an Austrian white nationalist who yeah. she tried to get a, basically get the North Idaho Republicans yeah. to sponsor his visa so they could get married in North Idaho, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, and so that's precisely what it is. And this is a situation where like they ended up the Kootenai County Republican Party ended up like saying, yeah, we want to like help out our constituents, that kind of thing. And they, this is one of the, the several examples of them not really knowing of the type of people that are in their midst. So anyways, Red Ice has 300,000 people on their YouTube channel before it was shut down for like all the white nationalists they had on. And then you have this guy named Dave Riley, who was this kind of Pennsylvania radio host who had been covering the Charlottesville rally. And then some of his coverage seemed really sympathetic. There had been a lot of backlash. And then he was uh, suspended by the radio station his parents own. And then he resigned quickly after that. Kind of saying, you know, I, you know, I did not realize his parents owned the radio station. Yeah, th at that point, so it was kind of this thing. So that he was like, you know, 
pulled off and then sort of like, we're going to investigate. Then he kind of resigns. He's upset. He sues a bunch of people who said that he attended and called him a racist and things like that, saying it's, it's deceptive because he was only covering it. Well, we find out later that like there's all of these uh, chats that, that leak from Charlottesville, the Charlottesville planning. And there's this guy named Davy Crockett on those chats who's saying like, you know, why don't... So these are like anonymous chat messages. So pseudonyms. people have their own. So they have like their... Um, pseudonyms. Their pseudonyms. Yes, everyone has like their pseudonyms. So like uh, there's you know, Richard Spencer, but there's also Jason Kessler, who's the person who organized it, kind of one of these, these infamous alt-right guys. He has a, like, a well-known handle there that you can see. I think it's like Bad Dimension or something. I can double check. So you see this guy named David Crockett who suggests like, why don't we with like take tiki torches and march to the middle of the University of Virginia campus, you know, chanting slogans that normies will, will like, normie conservatives will agree with and that kind of thing. It'll be really like, they won't, no one will be expecting it. And so then you see Jason, the person who's Jason Kessler, agree with Davy Crockett, saying that's oh, a great idea. Everyone seems to really like it. And then like we find out later, there's this there's this lawsuit where <laughs> Richard Spencer ends up yeah. um, ends up interrogating or kind of a, there's a cross examination of Jason Kessler and says like, hey, who leaked this audio footage of me losing my cool at this after party for Charlottesville? And he ends up saying, oh, it's uh, Davy Crockett. And like, is that um, is that Dave Riley? And he says, yes. And Davy Crockett rots is the old band camp page for Dave Riley. I, uh, and I asked him about it. I, I sent this email to Dave Riley, who ended up moving to Post Falls along with the other people. And I was sending this email to Dave Riley. And he says, he just like, is there any other context here? And he just like, here's the context and sends this video to him denouncing Patriot Front and like denouncing gay people yeah. at the rally. So like, so if this is accurate. So just and, to be clear, the guy who came up with the idea for the tiki torches at Charlottesville probably lives in Post Falls now. That's what we're saying. Yeah, at least, at least for the marching through campus. The idea of like this iconic image of these people chanting, all of these crowds of, of like people with tiki torches marching through Charlottesville. Which did, did in fact become iconic. Like yeah. those, are, those are the most, some of the most yeah. iconic images. From and he's, he was at the Austrian wedding for, um, he was at the Austrian wedding for Pe Martin Brittany Selmer Pettibone. and Pettibone's yeah. Brittany Pettibone's wedding. He had James Alsip, uh, appeared to have James Alsip at his wedding. Um, Lisa was the first one who looks a lot like James Alsip. Other people seem to think it. He had groiper socks at his wedding for his groomsmen. And like, there's a picture of him like actual with actual socks. Yeah, like, with, like okay. with little, like the little cartoon like the frogs. Little frogs and, yeah, you know, Andy's in the Red Eye Show talking about how he's trolling conservative person Charlie Kirk, talking about how, um, oh, you know, like how does anal sex advance the cause of conservatism? So anti-gay trolling here as part yeah. of the Groiper movement. Right. And he is on Red Ice talking about how they're like love that moment where he trolled Charlie Kirk. This is in like a 2019. So he's like this really big deal. And there's this Instagram picture of him in 2020 with James Alsop holding a tiki torch, like just kind of this callback, right? So like he's this really big name in this circle. And then he ends up running for post fall school board, kind of trying to kind of like cover up a lot of this stuff. And it's reported that he's, he's sort of associated with this, but the Kootenai County Republicans, they'd already endorsed him. After they, this didn't, comes out. they did not unendorse him, did they? No, did they? they did yeah. not. Yeah. They very much did not. I talked to Brent Regan about that. He gave me a lot of, a lot of reasons for that. It's like really, you know, part of it is that it's really, you know, there's like this big process to unendorse a person. But I think part of it too, is it seems like there's a real hesitation to like distance yourself from some of these people because some of like, including like Brent, Re Brent Regan's been called racist before, right? Like before like jokes that he's made that were, you know, kind of ill-advised and you're like, and Donald Trump's been called racist, if you can believe it. And you know, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> so, so like a lot of these people that they know is like everyone has been called racist. So like, there's this moment in a Hayden city council meeting. This is a really key moment where there's a person with this group, this some um, human rights group in Coeur d'Alene that have been started to like oppose extremism saying like, Hey, like, 
White Lives Matter, this other like extremist group is going to be in the area we hear. We want to make sure we stand up against this group. And then some other person says, you know, I'm not signed up for talk, but I'm upset at what she says. I want to say something. So this person comes up who seems to be, uh, she's like, looks Asian American. And she ends up saying like, like these days, like people that are called, like are accused of being white supremacists are almost always just patriots. Um, Linda Putz is her name. So she, Linda Putz comes up here and, you know, says, I'm a proud white supremacist. Like I'm a white supremacist because these days white supremacist just means patriot. And from what I could tell with her, it wasn't like she was like this Asian American was necessarily saying, you know, we, we believe that white people are, are superior, but she was believing this has become such a joke that it's like her I am Spartacus moment where she's trying to stand up for all these other people have been unfairly labeled. And so I think that there's a real vulnerability, like the far right, in North Idaho is not vaccinated and they've not been immune they're not vaccinated against the threat of these alt-right guys. Some of that obviously like there there might be that sort of like that feeling of sort of mutual mutual persecution but then also how much of this is like because these are the guys that have the the massive YouTube followings and have this huge underground thing. Brent Regan has almost hegemonic control over the locality of Kootenai County but he can't control what happens on the internet. Is there maybe a little bit of fear about that? Do you think? I don't know if it's, I don't think it's control as much as like, it doesn't seem to be control. And there, there has been, from what I understand, there have been like challenges to Brent Regan from the right. Like Brent Regan's too liberal now. We're going to really, you know, so there's been, everyone is always like f- fending off attacks on their flank from the well, right. Maybe that, that even just maybe like clarifies the point a little bit. It could be solidarity. It could be him protecting his right flank. Yeah. And it could be this idea that like, we're a big tent party. You know, we don't cancel people in this party. You know, kind of this thing. They like cancel people all the time for being like, slightly too liberal for the, you know, conservative slightly too liberal. They're, they're willing to stand up to Patriot Front and everyone is sort of stand up to Patriot Front. You know, I asked Brent, like, did you, I went to the Wayback Machine, like, did you go for the Wayback Machine to like, look at the old tweets that on uh, Dave Riley's account, these old tweets that he's deleted, because a lot of them are really bad. They're really like anti-Jewish and anti-gay and are really, and he's like, well, you know, Twitter's a, Twitter's a cesspool, Twitter's a sewer anyway. You know, I, I've looked at some of them, um, but you know, you know, Kathy Gifford had the that you know picture of Trump's head cut off, and so it's somewhat about isn't. But it's also like you know, it's like I'm had a conversation with a guy, and so you know, it's the kind of thing that just sort of the, the way people work through to sort of justify their ally that might be problematic. Riley has a connection to Unite the Right. Patriot Front has a connection to Unite the Right. They sort of were a splinter off of in, yeah, in the aftermath of yeah. and, the Unite and, the Right, yeah. and they hate each other. Or Riley doesn't like Patriot Front. So do you know what that beef's about, or is that is that just like internecine yeah, conflict? Some of it has to do with with uh, I, I, my my sense is there's two things. One of it has some of it has to do with from what I can tell. This is just you know I could be wrong on this, but some of it has to do with this idea of what is it called? Just sort of uh, oh you know differences in tactics and philosophy. So like as as I heard someone who is sort of aligned with the Fuentes movement tell me on Twitter, like, you know, Fuentes wants a, he has a political, thinks there's a political solution here, you know, for his ideology, whereas Patriot Front may, may not. And so like, and I think some of it is, some of his ideology and tactics, some of it just, I think could be ego. So does that mean that Fuentes thinks he can elect his way to white nationalism yeah, and Patriot Front is going to need to have a revolution or something? I, I, I don't, I don't actually know enough about the the movement stated goals to like how they're and how they're specifically going to get there but i do know they're the tactics of like a bunch of people so like the, i think it's not the, electoralism the, yeah, well, the difference for. is this that like that patriot front will show up in these towns with white masks and blue shirts and khakis and run around and with shields and kind of get some news and like vandalize george floyd 
things and put their stickers on it. Whereas Fuentes people will show up to conservative events and ask trollish questions to try to humiliate and embarrass these people that are kind of part of the conservative intelligentsia. Their strategy is we're going to take over the conservative party. And Fuentes has said this specifically, and Dave Riley's retweeted it. So like, it's been like a thing that like, that's their strategy. We're going to take over the conservative party. Whereas with uh, Patriot Front, they're kind of like, we need to sort of protest and we're, you know, that seems, they seem to be a lot more like, not totally nihilistic, but they kind of believe we need to really sort of like, this activism is the key this way, as opposed to, you know, you see this kind of thing in the left where different people believe that activism, you know, political involvement is the way versus like- Reform you know, versus revolution, accelerationism, yeah, 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 all that yeah. stuff, yeah. There's definitely accelerationists on the right too. Oh, so, for yeah. sure, yeah. So do we know when Riley actually moved to Post Falls? I haven't like completely nailed that down. It's not that I, I probably can't. I did look at like, I think the first, uh, he, was, he, was, he was registered to vote in 2020. So I did look at that. At least what, the person who appears to be Riley was in Post Falls, is in Post Falls. One day Riley in Post Falls, according to his registered vote. So I think registered there in 2020. So we know he's there. We definitely know he's there by 2020. I think we can say that. You know, and he had been like through 19 and 2020, he had been kind of involved with this really anti-Semitic, radical Catholic, anti-gay kind of group that had been involved. So, so yeah, we have a bunch, of, a bunch of people there. And so Vince James ends up being the person who ends up promoting, uh, basically like putting out this post on April 13th saying- Vincent James Fox. Yeah. yeah. Vincent James Fox, one of these alt-right guys, ends up putting this post out that says, basically the groomer is going to be showing up in Coeur d'Alene and like he posts- not only the picture of the flyer, but also a picture of the, of the flyer with a star of David, like drawn with the, like sketched with some of the lines in the flyer, like this is secretly star of David. He has a, like this spreadsheet of all these sponsors. And you see people in the comments with, you know, these, all these comments that are making like crystal knock jokes or making like jokes about pictures of this, um, you know, vandalized Jewish building that's like there. And the person is like, you know, making jokes about like, maybe this is the right response, that kind of thing. And so there's some really like, there's immediately some like really like dark jokes about that. And this guy has a following like everywhere with Nick Fuentes, with sort of everyone. And so you see, there's always this stuff being promoted in telegram channels where you have a ton of these people, uh, Panhandle Patriots, you have other local conservatives in the telegram channels, you have, um, Lana Loktoff and even like Lida Putz, like all these people who are like these characters are all in the same Telegram channels. Sometimes they're not reacting. Sometimes they're just trying to promote their own stuff, but like everyone kind of knows about it. Yeah. So then on May 9th, there's a, there's an Idaho Tribune story that sort of, like we mentioned already, cherry picking some leftist tweets saying Antifa is actually showing up after yeah. all. And, the and, panic and, is back. Yeah. So there's, and so there's a lot, a little bit of that. And so, and I think it's always sort of this question of like, you know, there wants to be that standing. And there's a lot of like internal, like people always say Antifa is going to be coming here. You know, it's like, that was like the, the, the boot of Antifa is always dropping Coeur d'Alene, but always seems to land in Portland, right? Like right. it's like this idea that like Antifa. Um, so there's this kind of this, this back and forth. People are like arguing is Antifa going to be there? But he puts this point of like, where the readout Antifa, anti-fascist account says, we're, there's going to be people, we're going to be among these people here. We're not going to be like doing crazy stuff, but we're going to be there. So you just should know kind of thing. And it's kind of vaguely threatening, especially if you're worried about Antifa, but like, you know, he grabs that. And, and so this, this Idaho Tribune grabs it and runs with it. There's a connection between Riley and the Idaho Tribune. Yeah. And I want to be uh, kind of careful here. So the, for most of the stories in Idaho Tribune have been written by a, per, a person. And here I'm making quotation marks with my fingers named Samantha Collins. There's no Samantha Collins registered in Idaho. The picture has all these signs and I checked with like several digital experts, like of being this AI generated image. So it appears like there's no person there. 
The person seems like immediately and curiously interested in Dave Riley through all of his stuff. And I had found a piece and then the Southern Poverty Law Center reported that like, there was actually like several like connections where like the Squarespace account that had created Dave Riley's campaign site. And Dave Riley, by the way, like has experienced in web design, also like was involved in at least a piece of the Idaho Tribune site. Plus, there are all those stories that are like breaking news. Dave Riley is a snack. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's his obsessions like these Ukrainian, like these awful Ukrainian people. So like this is all like fits like all of his obsessions, too. So it's like if he or Vince James are not involved with this, it's clearly like some doppelganger who's really like into it. You know, so it's like I, so we can't say for other. I asked them about it. Well, first I asked him about the Idaho dispatch which was a mistake. I said, I know dispatch first and that was these questions. Then he says, no, no, no. I'm like, huh? I'm like, okay, same questions now for Idaho Tribune. It doesn't answer. So like it, it was actually useful like as for like this control group versus like he just doesn't like, He'll answer stuff that he definitely has no connection yeah, to. But, but yeah. he, he definitely had a connection. I mean, at least I, I, you know, it's, I have reason to believe that there's, there's connections. There are connections, yeah. yeah. So we've already started to get to this, but like, yeah. is it sort of have a, like a, pan right sort of vibe or is it is it connected to a specific movement like readout news is it i mean maybe it sounds like it's is it just suspiciously close to all of dave riley's hobby horses like what's the what's the political valence the subvalence of, 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 of uh i don't know oh, it's all of dave riley's specific things it's very groper related but it's it's uh very anti-satanist very concerned about satanists very into it's like anti-ukraine more like putin of ukraine like accuses ukraine of being full of you know nazi the nazi kind of idea right, right. like the azov so, battalion yeah. the conspiracy theory so it's like one of those things that there's, there's truth to it but like they're like trying to pretend like everyone in ukraine is all nazis and so they should be you know so it's that it's very like obsessed with just some of these really inner nicene like drama um really hates the coeur press is always, you know, anti- yeah, they, call, they call them like a, a yeah. liberal rag. I'm like, oh, and that's it's, not how I would describe yeah. it. And it's obsessed with Antifa. It's pretty trollish. It's kind of like, so it just has all of those specific obsessions. In December, they interviewed uh, Viper with the, whoever Samantha was, yeah. interviewed Viper. So Viper probably knows who this person is. Right. Interviewed Viper for the Panhandle Patriots. So like, there's already like, there's a fair amount of acceptance of the Idaho Tribune within the far right in Idaho. They're not, they don't think it's a joke. They think it's pretty legit, you know. And there's there's a lot of things that are that are true there, or at least you know true from a certain point of view, as Obi Wan would say, <laughs> you know, in that on that page. And so like people are like, okay, this is I'm I'm getting this alternative news, but I am uh, this seems to be more accurate than Corleone Press is for their view, you know. We already have like the the makings of quite a gumbo here. Yeah. But then on June fifth, the Satanic Temple of Idaho yeah. announces they're gonna have a booth at Pride, yeah. which is so which is so great. It's just like this moment of like everyone is sort of like, and literally at this point, Panhandle Patriots are like, you know, motorcycle bikers are like guys, this is getting too tense for us. We're gonna like back off. We're gonna like reform this into like a National Day of Prayer. Like we're not cut out for this. This is this is way too tense. And then it's like here's Satan, and just like <laughs> Satan shows up out of nowhere, and sort of just like the the, the Satanic church in Idaho, like as the as the satanic church in like most locations is isn't an actually like at least for the most part doesn't seem like an actual like cultic thing that you know they're not like they don't like worship the devil but they want to use the christian Satan opposition like a metaphor, yeah. to the devil 
as a metaphor, but also like a way to like push back against religious control in school. So people say, we're going to have 10 commandments. Oh, great. We're going to put a statue of Satan right. or that, Baphomet. Like famously, it was like, yeah. like the Oklahoma state house or yeah. something. Yeah. So like we want to put this statue of Satan up because that's our religion, right? And so it's sort of like a way to like push back against religion in the public square in kind of a trollish way. It's sort of a more like scary version of like the flying spaghetti monster that atheists were really into in like the late 90s. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I feel like the, those those were troll actions yeah. that predate social media. Like Yeah. This is a real thing they've been around and they're, you know, and they're, they're also trying to like, they also like support a lot of liberal progressive causes, you know, they're, they're uh, pro abortion rights and things like that. And so they announced like on Twitter, we're going to be doing like, we're going to have a booth. We're going to have a booth at, at, at pride. We're going to be doing unbaptisms, you know, where we're going to be like, you know, cleansing people of the, the taint of religion and things like that in their lives, you know, things like that. And so it's like ready made. So like Dave Riley had already been like, like yelling at the libs of TikTok. He's already, ter- yeah, he's already scared kind of, of Satanists. And- well, he's like really hates Satanists. They really thinks they're awful. And just like, and, and I think, I'm not sure the extent to whether he thinks they're just trolls or whether he thinks they're like representing like a real sinister, a real like occultic component, like like people in my church growing up would see probably well, see. Well, as like a, a, a conservative traditionalist Catholic, it's hard to know, you know? Yeah. And so like, and, and I think that you would believe that Satan is real. You know, so like I think that's, uh, and mo- I think, you know, I would say a lot of conservative Christians would believe that, right? I would well, say I mean, most, think, yeah. even thinking back to like the way, again, my parents were evangelical, yeah. so Protestants, even just the whiff of Satan, yeah. like even accidentally getting close to Satan was enough to like, you know, condemn your soul to hell. Like I, there was so much stuff I was not allowed to watch yeah. for its Satan adjacency. Well, I read like a thriller that was like a Stephen King genuinely well-written th- thriller called This Present Darkness that was a guy by name Frank Peretti. He was a writer kind of from oh, Idaho. Oh, yeah, Frank Peretti. And yeah, I, I've, like, he, I've read he, that novel. He prayed for me that I would become a great writer at one time. So, like, he was, like, when I was growing up, and it's, like, he was, like, a genuinely, like, great writer, but it also was, like, it was, like, that, you know, he would, like, split between the... You'd like flash back and forth at increasingly dramatic pace between like the the world of demons and angels, right? Oh, and yeah. the world spiritual of, warfare. Know. And yep. it mean it like everything literally, but it was real. But the idea of spiritual warfare is real, very real within the evangelical church. Um, and I think it's, I believe it still is. And so like, so this is just this stew. And so they reach out finally, to, you know, she, the libs of TikTok account, which is already has 1.2 million Twitter followers. This must've been just after like libs of TikTok became a national story as itself. Yeah. Right? And so like, it, in the story, it was on the, Today of, Show. the yeah. story about the national story was a national story because it was controversial with the Washington Post with this person being exposed for who they were. And so like it had already become this, like this go-to and basically the account, a lot of what they do is they like the you know, have images of teachers or other liberal people saying some things that seem, especially conservatives, really crazy. Like this is, you know, this is what I told my kids. This is what I told my second graders today that, you know, gay people are like an incredible part, you know, that homophobia is wrong, you know, things like that. And so like, and a lot of the stuff is real stuff. Some of it's like, they've been hoaxed. They've been like, they've kind of gotten some things really wrong, but like, it doesn't seem to be like entirely like, it's not entirely lies. And, and they just like retweeted this, they retweeted the Satanist tweet saying like, hey, this is going to happen. And like the backlash was like so intense that it seemed like both, from what I can tell, both the Satanist, um, the, like the minister of the Church of Satan and the Libs of TikTok lady were like exhausted and miserable. And like, they're like both getting so many death threats and harassment that yeah. it was like, they're like, please, like they're crying, both crying on call kind of works. It was so intense. And so, so the Satanists don't show up, but the damage is kind of done. The Satanists actually two days later, they kind of like pull back. I think they they think that like, I'm kind of surprised that like Pride in the Park was just being so careful, like about how to like handle this. But I, I also think like they're about 
tolerance and like not turning away people because of what you know and so i think that they like feel like okay well but it's like this is just sort of like it's like i said you add you're throwing brimstone into the fire right i've i've had a number of touchy conversations in with organizing art events and stuff where we're like wow this is edgy this might cause some problems and you have to have a tough conversation about that i can only imagine a fraction of how tense it would have been in the pride room talking about whether they should admit the church of satan (laughs) one of the things that one of the one of the north uh, idaho pride alliance guys was saying is like this is pride in Idaho. This is Pride in North Idaho. This isn't Pride in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, we're going to be like doing things in a really pretty low key way. You know, this is not going to be super dramatic. I mean, there's also the argument that like these guys can't win, right? That there's like all this intimidation. We've got to stand up and, and show who we are. And that's a really compelling argument too. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's been sure. really compelling for activists as well. Like, and this has been a, this has been a tension that has been between like normie and kind of more of the kink or fringe between the in the gay rights movement if you read about it for a very very long time it's been a part of the the, the uh, gay marriage struggle see this has been a real tension within the gay rights movement for a really long time in terms of like what's the best way to like have progress right so this is an old story but it was also just like the perfect you know i, I kept thinking of the line from the simpsons behind the music episode that like you know you know, and Dave Riley's prayer, prayer had been answered ah, by Satan. Because ah, ah. <laughs> it was sort of like this, you know, he'd been really like wanting, yeah. desperately wanting this to have national coverage, giving a shout out to this, you know, national account saying like, please retweet this, look into this. Uh, you see people do this with um, Rachel Maddow, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty, you know. Chris like, Hayes. And then suddenly, suddenly it is a national thing, you know. And so, and then like it goes on to all the Sinclair broadcasting shows, like it becomes this, like this sort of this, on the right wing, basically right wing kind of wire. It's like comes out everywhere. In like some of these stories, there wasn't anything like necessarily untrue about it. Loves a TikTok tweet wasn't untrue, but it was just it was just fanning the flames. Well, and then it gets picked up by Sinclair Broadcasting, yeah. which is like a basically like they own they're a conservative company that owns 294 television stations in 89 yeah. markets. Yeah. A bunch of those stations run with the story. Yeah. So now it's a national traditional media story talking about um, Satanists at a pride event. In, and it's all going to be like at this moment. And this is, so this ended up becoming, when I was doing this, folk, this, this story about North Idaho politics, like this ended up becoming like a spine of my story because I was seeing this everything converging. It's, you know, kind yeah. of thinking of like the, the not another teen movie like finale about everything's going to happen at the prom, kind of this idea of <laughs> right. like, you know, we're all going to cut. This is all going to go down at Pride in the Park. This is going to be this showdown. Okay, let's leave it there. We just <laughs> we just spent an hour talking about the lead up to the event. Hopefully none of you are stupid enough to come here for short form content. <laughs> That's not what we do here. Most of my intros are 10 minutes long, so hopefully no one was under the impression that we were doing new shorts here. I wanted to thank Daniel a lot for taking the time to spend over two hours with us talking about this a couple weeks ago. He and I don't see eye to eye on everything, and we'll actually get into some points of departure Uh, late in next week's episode, more when we talk about newsrooms. But I got to say, I've been doing this for two years now, a little bit over two years. Never have I been on such a Simpsons-related wavelength with an interview subject that we have not one but two Simpsons clips in the show and relatively deep cuts as well, I might add. I really relished going and digging those clips up. It was super fun. He'll be back next week to finish it up. This episode was produced by Val Ogier and me. The interview was edited by Connor Bacon. We recorded this at Spokast Studios in beautiful downtown, uptown Spokane, Washington, just across the Monroe Street Bridge on Monroe from downtown. If you like what we're up to at Range, please consider supporting us by becoming a paying subscriber, a paying member 
at rangemedia.co and then click the subscribe button. We're trying to create a sustainable grassroots model for journalism that relies on the people who actually use the service so that we don't have to rely on advertisers or other forms of, say, grant funding, which will make a cleaner experience for everybody who reads Range, but also it will leave us freer to go after power wherever that power lies. Money is a form of power. And the less beholden we can be to the kinds of places who have the wealth, who have the power, for example, put full page ads in a newspaper or run long commercial packages on television, the freer we are to go after those people. Like say, if we figure out one of the ways a large employer in town is making their profits is through something like wage theft. Just as an example, but also maybe as a foreshadowing for the labor reporting we're going to hopefully start doing soon. It's very much on the horizon. How distant on the horizon it is kind of depends on how quickly we can get sustainable. So please, if you have the means, support us monetarily. If you can't afford to support us monetarily, tell your friends about us. Let them know what we're up to. We're honestly and earnestly trying to create a media for everyone that includes people who can't afford to pay for traditional newspaper subscriptions or what have you. And we need your help to get there. So thanks a lot in advance. That's it for us. See you next time with more Daniel Walters and the conclusion of our discussion of right-wing Coachella, the North Idaho Day of Prayer. See you next time, everyone. Have a good week. Bye.